0: I'm excited about the Christmas season, and um, for those of you who've been with us for a period of time, you know that we are in the midst of a sermon series entitled Heaven's Song. And the purpose for that is for us to listen in to heaven's reality of Christmas and to participate in and to sing along with what God is doing in and through the birth of Jesus into this world. This morning's sermon is going to be, very simply put, Joy, Joseph. Joy, Joseph. Now, in churches all over the world, many are lighting a candle during their service, during this Advent season, and the candle for this morning is joy, joy, and I think that what I want to do at the outset, and I felt deeply compelled to do this this morning before we kind of get to Joseph, is I felt led to talk about joy. But before I do that, I am going to confess something publicly, if you don't know this already, and that is for the first time in my life, I am attempting to grow a beard. And... Um, Here's what I've noticed. Growing a beard is like when people realize that you're serious about your faith. Here's what I mean by that. Those people that have beards go, way to go, man. And those people that don't are saying things like, are you sure that you really want to do that? And normally the question goes something like this is that, um, what does Fran think? And she has withheld her opinion. Fran is my wife. She has withheld her opinion up until this point, but. Uh, at the beginning of this past week, my wife and I took a trip down to visit my father and my mom. They have retired to Greenville, South Carolina, and my dad is in a memory care unit, and we went down there to watch the play Hamilton. My parents gave us tickets, which is absolutely phenomenal, and we went to see my mom and dad, and when I went into the unit where my dad is kind of spending his last years, he looked at me, and he asked the question a lot of people have, what is Fran? Think about your beard. But I know my dad well enough to know that what he was really saying was this. I hope Fran will help you get rid of that beard. That's really what I know my dad was saying. But as any time in life when you make a big change, you have to have a vision. Leadership studies teach us this. You need a vision for your future. And so I want to show you up on the big screen what my vision for my beard future is. How does that look? That's the vision for my future. And my gut is, with that being my vision, Fran will make me cut all this off before the new year. So joy. I want to talk about joy because joy is something that the Bible speaks of. We sing about joy to the world. This is the Advent Sunday for joy. But as I was prayerfully looking at the life of Joseph, we're kind of devotionally gonna to get to Joseph in just a moment. I felt deeply compelled this morning to sit on the topic of joy just for a few minutes. Because the Bible speaks of it, but I think some people, when they hear joy to the world, the Lord has come, or the joy of the Lord is my strength, they think, what in the world is that? And so I wanna talk about that at the outset just for a few moments. And I want to start here. I want us to understand when we begin to look at joy, that joy is something that is intrinsically linked to the movement of the Spirit of God in your life. Joy is brought to us as one of the fruits of the Spirit. And here's what it says in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. And I love the idea that the Apostle Paul writes this to us that joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you why. I am not wired to be a joyful person. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me put it this way. How many of you are married to someone that is not a joyful person? My, temp, my temperament is this. Fran grew up in an Italian home. She wants to have a party for everything. Like literally, I know, right? For everything. It's like, hey, it's snowing. Let's throw a party. Hey, the snow's melting. Let's throw a party. Let's, it's raining. Let's throw a party. And I'm wired more for leadership where I just want to see the next mountain to climb. That's what I get excited about. But the Bible says that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, but also as peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. When I look at these, these are the things that God wants for me. He wants these in my life. I'm not naturally wired for about 99% of these. But the Bible teaches me that the Spirit of God is the Spirit as I walk with Jesus, works in my life. These are the indicators of that. Not only this, we find as we move into the Newer Testament that after Jesus is dead, buried, and resurrected, that the first disciples experienced joy. And it says then, the disciples were filled with joy and with the What? The Holy Spirit. You see, I want you to understand there is a connection between joy and the Holy Spirit's working in our life. Next scripture. It's found in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and you became imitators of us. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. You became imitators of us and the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. In other words, when they said yes to Jesus, life got brutal. And here's what Paul writes, but you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy, or with the joy, given by the what? The Holy Spirit. You see, Paul recognizes that there's something that is not innate in us, but the Spirit of God gives it to us. And then another scripture says this, That Jesus himself found joy in the midst of the worst time of his life. And here's what it says. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That in the midst of everything that he was going through, that there was this thing called joy that was always in front of him. And I want you to notice that that joy caused Jesus to take on shame and not regret it. It also clearly shows us that Jesus, because of what God was doing in him and and through him, we recognize this, that Jesus became incredibly selfless. It's shocking. And we see this throughout the Newer Testament where people make that choice to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to work in their lives, and they have this joy that's there and so here's a phrase I want for us to think about before we take a look at the life of Joseph and it's this joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances but is God's gift through the Holy Spirit to those who have chosen to follow Jesus why don't you think about this how's the joy How is it? Just because the hymn so accurately announces the Christmas carol that joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive its king. That joy, though, is something that is given to us. It's a gifting of the Holy Spirit and was central to the life of Jesus and central to the disciples. So here's what I want us to clearly understand, that joy and happiness are not the same thing. You see, happiness is linked to circumstances. Joy is linked to the Holy Spirit's work in your heart and in your life. I have watched people go through unspeakable things, and in the midst of it, there's a joy. There's a resident joy. that There is no calculated reason as to why that joy is there other than they follow Jesus and the Spirit of God is with them. What I want to talk about now is we look at Heaven's Song. Last week, we took kind of a devotional look at Mary. This morning, what I would like for us to do is I would like for us to take a devotional look at Joseph, the father of Jesus, sort of that stepfather that raises him here in this earth. And we're going to read together now Matthew chapter 1,
1: When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus.
0: What a powerful event. Here's Joseph. Joseph, we know several things about him from Scripture, but the truth of it is we don't know all that much. What we do know about Joseph is he is a carpenter. By the way, he was most likely a stonemason. He's a builder. Not only this, what we know about Joseph is that he is named after an Older Testament character who was involved with God in the midst of Israel as Israel's in the midst of a famine. Joseph is an Israelite who was sold by his brothers into slavery to the Egyptian empire. And Joseph has a unique gifting. Joseph is able to interpret dreams. Isn't it amazing that Joseph, that man who is called to take Mary home as his wife, that he is named after the dreamer in the Older Testament. So what else do we know about Joseph? Well, again, we don't know all that much. But what we do know is he is a son of David. David. In other words, he is from the lineage of King David, Israel's favorite king. We also know, and the Bible doesn't tell us this, but most biblical scholars believe that Joseph is considerably older than Mary. Joseph steps into Scripture in the Christmas story. He appears just a couple of more times, and then he vanishes from Scripture. He vanishes about the time that Jesus is 12 to 13 years of age. But what we do know is this, is that just for a, pre- a brief moment, Joseph plays a key role in the Christmas story. And that key role is downloaded to us in the book of Matthew. Jason just read it. You see, the book of Luke tells us about Mary. The book of Matthew tells us about Joseph. The Gospel of John never mentions Christmas. Neither does the Gospel of Mark. So everything we know about Christmas comes from just two Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, which is about Mary, and the Gospel of Matthew, which is about Joseph. So again, I want to bring to us a few devotional thoughts from the life of Joseph. Here's what we know before we jump into those. That Mary, at the time of the angelic encounter, is most likely pregnant for three months. There's little doubt that Mary had come to Joseph and explained to him what had happened in her life. What we read in the Gospel of Luke is the angel of the Lord, the angel Gabriel comes to her, announces that the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, she will conceive and give birth to the Messiah. In that angelic announcement, the angel also tells her that her cousin Elizabeth, who is too old to have a child, is now pregnant, and her pregnancy is in its sixth month, will Mary, in total faith as soon as the angel leaves, the gospel of Luke tells us, she leaves and goes to Elizabeth's home. And so the idea would be, is upon her return, she returns to her hometown, and she explains to Joseph what has happened. Picture Joseph. You see, the Gospels are written in such a way that you and I are supposed to put ourselves in the middle of the story. You imagine men being Joseph. You're engaged to Mary. Actually, the King James says betrothed. I like engaged. Betrothed to Mary. And three months into her pregnancy, apparently she shows up to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, I'm with child. Well, Joseph knows he's not the dad. And so, scripture tells us that he begins to formulate a plan, he begins to make a move. And here's the move that Joseph makes. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, why does it say husband and why does it say divorce? Well, in the ancient world, you would actually have a huge engagement celebration. Most marriages were arranged marriages, and this couple, probably Mary and Joseph, knew each other the majority of at least Joseph's life. And so when we look at this, what we find is, is that Joseph, because of cultural customs, in order to call off an engagement, he must give her a writ of divorce. Well, that's his plan. He recognizes she's with child. He knows it's not his. But I love what the Bible says about Joseph. I love it. It says he wants to be faithful to the law. Because in the book of Exodus, it says if a woman grows up or shows up pregnant, that at that point in time, the law says she's to be executed. She's to be killed. Now, we know from extra-biblical literature that this was not happening all that often during the time of Jesus. They weren't executing people anymore, but the guilt and the shame and the ostracism would definitely follow. And so here's Joseph. He knows what the law of God says, but he wants to do the right thing by the law, but he also loves Mary. And in doing so, he doesn't want to crush her. It shows that he's one of those types of people that has God's presence in his life, and he's living between the pressure of the law of God and what his heart and his love wants him to do, and so he's found in the middle. And the Bible says he comes to this decision You know what's amazing is that Jesus in his ministry walked this out the way his dad did. Jesus knew the law of God. But how often do we see in the Newer Testament that in the midst of someone having broken the law, Jesus shows up with kindness, with love. There's an Older Testament prophecy that speaks specifically about Jesus, Jesus. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. What an amazing scripture. This guy will walk out justice and he will be faithful to the law of God. But when he does it, he's not going to crush people. He's not going to break the weak and those that are already broken. But somehow there will be one who will walk out God's law, and that speaks of Jesus. But could I suggest to us that Jesus learned this from Joseph? He learned what it was like to be faithful to the law, but not crush those who are downtrodden or broken. So I look at that scripture about Joseph, and my prayer for you and for me is we would be like him that we would walk out righteousness in the world, but do it in a way where it doesn't heap more condemnation on those around us, but instead shows love and kindness. Scripture also says that when the angel comes to Joseph in this dream, and here's sort of my next devotional thought, the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I want you to know this, though. Mary got an actual angelic visit. So did Zechariah, her brother-in-law, the husband of Elizabeth. He got an actual angelic visit. But Joseph gets an angel in a dream. Isn't that fascinating? It's almost as though God knows that Joseph doesn't need what everyone else is needed, that Joseph's heart is wired towards God. And so like his namesake, he has a dream. And God appears to him through the angel in the dream and says to him, you know what, Joseph? What Mary has told you about her pregnancy is true. Can you imagine waking up from that dream? Can you imagine? Here's Joseph, he's already decided to divorce her. He's going to do it so that the bruised reed will not be crushed. He's going to do it in a loving way as best as he knows how. And he falls asleep. When he falls asleep, the angel appears to him in a dream says, you know what, Joseph? The unbelievable has happened, and what Mary has told you is true. She truly has conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so, Joseph wakes up from that dream, and the Bible wants us to know three things that Joseph does. It says, when Joseph woke up, again, can you imagine waking up from that dream? So I have a question. How many of you sitting here remember your dreams? Raise your hand really high. How many of you are like me and you can't remember the last dream that you've had? Raise your hand really high. How many of us that don't remember our dreams wish that we could remember them? Raise your other hand. I wake up and don't remember anything. Now, this is probably a little bit more than you want to know. Not only does my wife tell me I snore, but she also says there are times where I'll have dreams where I become totally panic-stricken. And in the dream, I'm fighting and kind of wrestling and tussling around, and there have been a couple times where she's elbowed me to wake me up. So I kind of come up out of the fog, and when I do, I really wish I could remember the dream. I can't remember it. But here's Joseph in the middle of his sleep. The angel appears in a dream and says to him, you know what, Joseph, what Mary told you is true. She truly has conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then the scripture tells us that when he wakes up, he did what the angel of the Lord had told him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. But he also did not consummate their marriage until until she gave birth to a son. And then he gave him the name Jesus. It's incredible. You imagine Joseph, he's been now told by the Lord, you know what, Mary, what she told you is true. Now I want you to take her home. And the Bible says he gets up and he did exactly what the angel told him to do. It says he took, him, took her home as his wife. That's something. You know, as my son would say as we discussed this, that even people in the ancient world knew the math on pregnancy. And when he brings her home, she's three months pregnant. I believe that Joseph never told a soul the conversation he had with Mary before they begin to find out themselves. My Bible tells me that he didn't want to put her out there for public disgrace, so he kept to himself. He kept to himself what she had told him. Now she's beginning to show, but Joseph brings her home and makes her his wife. Not only this, but the Bible's absolutely clear that Joseph does not consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. Isn't it fascinating that here Joseph is demonstrating self-control and constraint and self-sacrifice? He's doing that clearly. And he waits until after Jesus is born. And then the last thing that we notice is that he gives him the name Jesus. Jesus, the name Joshua. The name that means God saves, God delivers, God sets people free. So as we look at this simple devotional, how in the world can we put feet to our faith for this? Because really, in my heart of hearts, that's what I want all of us to have. And so I want to begin with this question. Ask yourself the question, do I have the joy of the Holy Spirit? Do I have it? Maybe you're like me, where you're not wired for joy. You're not wired for celebration. But the idea is, is that joy is much deeper than that. Let me put it to you this way. Joy is not in your life just because this is rain and not snow. If you're right with God, though, you're happy about that. People who are not right with God wish that this was snow. Man, I'm so grateful this is rain. I think I drove my family nuts. We're driving around in this storm, and it's pouring down rain. I must have said a hundred times, thank God this is not snow. How many of you are right with God and agree with me? Amen. There you are. There you have it. But the idea is, is that you see Joy is unlike happiness. Happiness is tied to circumstance. Joy is something that the Spirit of God gives. So even if this was snow, you would have this joy, this resident reality of the Spirit's gifting in your life and in your heart where that is greater than the circumstance you face. How's your joy? Putting feet to our faith, Maybe like Joseph, maybe my faith could use some waking up. Maybe like Joseph, it's time for your faith to begin to actually have feet. And in line with that, maybe like Joseph, what it is that God's been asking you to do because of Jesus, what is that? Isn't it incredible that Joseph wakes up And as he wakes up, he puts feet to his faith and he takes Mary home and he does not consummate the marriage and he names this little fella Jesus. Something happened because of Christmas to Joseph. His faith woke up. And here's another one that strikes me as we put feet to our faith. Will I commit to walking out righteousness in a way that shows kindness and self-sacrifice Joseph did can I be honest there is nothing worse than a politically angry Christian hear me there's no advancement for the kingdom when we think things aren't the way we think they ought to be and we don't demonstrate the love and the kindness How about even with how people live their lives around us? What do we exude to them in the midst of our call to righteousness? Does it look like Joseph? Or does it look like some angry sideways Christian? Please hear me clearly. The devotional reality for Joseph has spoke deeply to my soul for our church. Oh, pray to God that we had a 1,000 people, 1,200 people, whatever it is that calls city their home, that we would be a group of people that when we walk out righteousness, we do it with kindness and with gentleness and with the resident working of the spirit of joy. And so what I would like for us to do is can we take just a moment and close our eyes in God's presence because we are going to be singing joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. But you see, the Newer Testament teaches us that that joy is intrinsically linked to the Holy Spirit's work and residence in my heart and life. And the Bible says clearly that whoever says yes to Jesus and chooses to follow him, that the Spirit of God becomes resident in our hearts. So again, the questions as we close our eyes in God's presence before we sing joy to the world. Do I have the joy that the Holy Spirit brings? Is it time for my faith to wake up just like Joseph? Maybe like Joseph, God's been asking me to do something because of my faith in Jesus. Then last, are we a group of people that are committed to walking out God's righteousness in a way that shows sacrifice and kindness. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. What an example Joseph is for us. God, now let our hearts be open in the present working of your Holy Spirit. and We believe for this. We pray for it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.
1: In Jesus' name.